Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everybody, J.J. Cooper, Carlos Colazzo here on our our final Baseball America playoff podcast of the 2021 season because as you, I'm guessing if you're downloaded this podcast that you may be aware. The title might have given it away. (laughs) Spoiler alert, spoiler alert here. If you are unaware, the Braves won the World Series. And again, if, if, if somehow that combination has come together that the first way you found out that the Braves won the world series is by downloading the baseball America podcast, hit us up. I'm at JJ Coop 36 on Twitter. He's Carlos Colazzo VA like hit us up. I would love to know how that happened, but, um, but uh, Carlos, it, it, the game itself was not one that had a whole lot of doubt to it. We had a game where Max freed, after a, I would say scary, and I don't mean that as a Braves fan. I mean that as a fan of baseball. Mm. Anytime you have a player stepping on the ankle of a pitcher going to cover first base, that's a scary moment because we don't want players to get hurt. No doubt. That was a scary moment in the first inning that Max Fried, thankfully, I, it, it's, uh, I think Smoltz noted on the broadcast, I don't think those were metal spikes. That was kind of that hard rubber spike. Oh, really? Um, okay. That I, I missed see, that. We we didn't get a bloody sock out, yeah. out, out of it, you know. Um, no, that was a but, scary moment. And, and even though he hopped back on the mound, part of me at the time was wondering, okay, is this going to be a situation where the adrenaline's pumping now after he goes into the dugout for a half inning and maybe uh, swells up a little bit on him? What's it going to be like the next inning? But no, really – from that moment on, it really seemed like Freed was locked in. Six innings, four hits, no runs allowed, six strikeouts and no walks. I mean, he he was really impressive. Um, obviously, the Astros didn't score a run in this game. Uh, and it was pretty much all Braves from the uh, from the Jorge Soler monstrous third inning home run that 
I think is still orbiting this planet. Uh, I, I think it did have escape velocity. <laughs> I do think it had enough on it to escape, you know, the, the atmosphere and, and mm -hmm. orbit for quite a while. Um, and it, it's funny. And again, I'm not, we're not going to spend time discussing here about the demise of starting pitchers and all, but for all the talk about Ian Anderson, yes, I had, I know that he was throwing a no hitter at the time, but if you want to talk about the pitcher who could have gone longer, Max Fried was rolling. It was no six innings. The lead I think was he not had 52 pitches through five innings. So he was I... not only really dominant, but extremely efficient. And a few years ago, maybe he's a guy who who throws all nine in this game when the game is really not too close. You probably you could have pushed him really as long as you wanted to, but given the state of the Braves bullpen no real reason to do that after the game that he had. So that was a pretty impressive kind of final start for him. And really by expected weighted on base average allowed, I think Freed was the best pitcher for the Braves this postseason, which is pretty impressive. I mean, that, that group of arms that the Braves really built their really created their rebuild around um, they've gotten a lot out of it. And now they have a world series out of that group. It's been a long time coming. I know, JJ, you've been chronicling their rebuild a little bit longer than I have. I came came back to BA in 2017. Uh, you've been here for for quite a lot longer than that. Uh, so it is cool to I mean, see all of these players who we've been covering as prospects through the years kind of form this core that is now World Series champions. It is kind of crazy to say that literally I've been covering the Braves in some form or fashion with basically a one-year absence of that since before they won the world series in you know or or when they won the world mm -hmm. series in 95 so yeah so uh, i guess how, how does this world series like how was just watching it different for you was it at all i mean does it does it impact how you watch it just the fact that you've covered it or have you kind of removed all of your i guess personal i mean it's not biases you've just been covering but, the team for so long from a personal standpoint i i, I own this on Twitter last night. I we cover the sport of baseball. And so I don't have that. I, I was texting friends of mine. I'm from Georgia. I was texting friends and family who I texted a friend who she's like, I'm crying. You know, like for her, yeah. it was this amazing moment. I I I work at Baseball America. I cover the, you know, it, it's not mm -hmm. that for me. I'm not a Braves sure. fan who was like, you know, I, I'm a Steelers fan. I stand up for key moments in Steelers game. I was planted on the couch, just tweeting away. That said, I am extremely excited for some people I know who are brave. Absolutely. I've known Brian Sticker. And again, I don't want him to say, oh, Brian and I are friends or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah. I covered two making Braves teams that Brian Sticker was the manager of. Mm -hmm. And it was covering those teams that Brian Sticker was a manager of that helped really kind of, I was in my early 20s, mid 20s at that point. It really kind of helped. I already had a giant love of baseball. I've had a giant love of baseball for most of my life. I mean, got back to when I was in, you know, in the elementary school, but I was a newspaper reporter at the time. And at the time I thought my goal was to cover an NFL team, you know, long-term. I love the NFL too. And you got smart after it, that. I got smart. And part of that <laughs> is, is I really enjoyed 
Brian Snicker was incredibly patient. And I learned a lot from watching, talking to him about baseball, things like that, to where I left those years covering this class A team, the Macon Braves, knowing a lot more about baseball than I did when it started. And I've had a chance to tell Brian Snicker since then, thank you. I would, I really don't think that I would be at Baseball America without, without the time I had with Brian Snicker covering that Macon Braves team when he was a veteran at that time, minor league manager who had already put in 15 years basically as a coach and manager and, and was, and this is something that's also like, there was, we, we wrote about in 2016 and it's, I want to make clear, this is a lot of these guys are no longer part of the Braves, but there was this kind of component of the Braves where you had all these minor league coaches and people who could best be described as lifetime or largely lifetime Braves. And Snicker was always one of those, but I think of Bruce Del Canton and there I, I could Bobby Dews. Like there were a lot of these people who it's like, if you covered the Braves for 15 years, you, and that's one of the things that struck me. Like I, I could, I was linking to it last night because I couldn't help but think of in 2016, we try, we don't always succeed, but we try for our minor league preview to pick a team that is going to, we think really emerge like there's a farm system that's building together. And maybe this is the team that down the road is going to really pop. And the one I always go back to that kind of, I'm not saying it was the first one we did it, but it was kind of, it was a conscious effort in 2012. We did blue wave, which was look, the Royals have been terrible forever. They have a farm system. Now they're not going to be terrible anymore. And it worked out. They went to the world series twice. They won the world series. Yeah. Then my job was again, Thank you, subscribers. I love my job. This is really fun to do. My job then was to go to Cubs camp in Arizona in 2015 to talk to Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber and all because we're like, you know what? This Cubs team mm -hmm. is building something that's about to pop. And it did. And they won the World Series. I got to have, you know, sit down with Carlos Correa and his family have dinner with them for a cover story we did about Carlos Correa because it's like, you know what? Carlos Correa is this new type of shortstop. You can be six foot four and play shortstop. And by the way, the Astros are building something and it's going to pop. But 2016, the job was to go to Orlando back when those Braves were playing at the wild Disney wild world sports and live on the backfields for a little while and do a series of stories about the Braves rebuild, which there's a video I linked to last night on this. Like it was the early parts of this rebuild. There is video of Ronald Acuna. And we absolutely knew that Ronald Acuna was a, he was a top 30 prospect for the Braves at the time, but it's, it's, it's laughable in hindsight. <laughs> the, we're showing you video of Ricardo Sanchez and Tyrell Jenkins. And by the way, Oh yeah, that's Ronald Acuna at the plate, but he's not going to be mentioned by name <laughs> in the in the video. That's it's fantastic. just it's just one of the guys who's facing these mm -hmm. Tyrell Jenkins. You know, we don't we mentioned Lucas Herbert. 
We mentioned catcher Lucas Herbert. We don't mention Ronald Acuna. So I'm not, <laughs> please understand, this is not us standing on our pile, you know, our ego pile saying, look at how smart we are. I did mention Ronald Acuna in the video, but, <laughs> but you see Acuna, Ozzy Alves, who looks like half the size. I mean, he hadn't gotten taller, but it's a small looking Ozzy Alves who was already, but we talked about Ozzy Alves and Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley. That was his first, Max Freed, Mike Soroka. You had all these guys. And the whole point of it was they were building something that looked like it could really turn into something. And it, now there was no guarantee at that point, but that is the group that has really turned into, and again, Acuna's hurt this year. Mike Soroka got hurt this year. Mike Soroka has missed much of the last two years, but Max Freed, Ian Anderson, who wasn't even on that team, yeah, like that's the, the 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 draft to come at that point. But Ian Anderson, um, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson, Freddie Freeman was already there. You get a core together like that, and that gives you the chance. And then credit to Alex Anthopoulos and the Braves front office and Brian yeah. Sticker and the players themselves. But once you have that core. You know, we can talk about like they, and I think we should talk about how little it costs the Braves to utterly remake their outfield at the at the deadline by yeah. acquiring useful players, but not stars. It's but it's, you have to have that infield to, to for it to matter. That infield, and that pitching staff allowed you to do so, Carlos. Yeah, once you once you get that core, I think you just you you set it up really well and kind of explained it well. Once you get that core that you're confident is a winning core and foundation of the team, maybe maybe it's easy is overstating it and simplifying a little bit too much, but adding those extra pieces that you need to take that core and allow them to finish out a regular season and, and really even make the playoffs. I mean, we can we can look back at these trades that Alex Anthopoulos made at the trade deadline this year and see extremely meaningful impacts that all of those outfitters, Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler made during the regular season, just to get the Braves kind of over the hump and into the playoffs as the lowest winning team in the field. And then also throughout the, throughout each round of the playoffs, Jock Peterson played uh, a really important role early on. Eddie Rosario looked like the best player in baseball and the championship series. Uh, Adam Duvall has provided power and center field defense throughout. And Jorge Soler homered three times in the World Series and is the MVP. So, yeah, mentioning those guys as keys, key, I think the pieces that were moved in the bullpen and just the acquisitions made in that bullpen to make that a very competitive group of arms, it's a, it's a combination of homegrown, um, player trades. It, it really feels like this Braves team is a, a combination of everything. It is not, you can't sum it up as any one thing. It's not an entirely homegrown team. It's not entirely analytics driven, but there's a blending of old school and new school, uh, long time Braves, new time Braves that have kind of combined to make this thing happen, which is really cool to see. The other thing that stays out, and I'm, I want to credit former Baseball America editor-in-chief John Manuel. This is a theory he's had for years and he's talked about for years, but it does seem like another key component of World Series winning teams is you have to have starters 
who were premium picks in the draft. Now, and, and I say that, like, if you go back, at, if you look at the teams that have won the World Series, with very few exceptions, and I, I'm going to call up a, a list of the, the, the world's, but like with this team, Max Fried, Ian Anderson are premium picks. I think you need to include Kyle Wright in that too. He didn't play and as Kyle big Wright. a role as those two, but he was the first round pick in 2017, fifth overall, um, and really had a, an impressive start for them and a key relief appearance in the World Series. So three guys who were taken in the top, what, how many picks is that? What was the lowest pick? 20? Well, Free uh, I mean, was picked top 10. But yeah, either way. Free lot... was picked top 10. Anderson was picked top 10. Wright was picked yeah. top 10. So those are all I, it, those are all top 10 picks. I mean, that's not something where if you're If Soroko talking... is healthy, you probably have four guys all picked within the top 28 picks of the draft, all first round arms that you're kind of building this round. Okay, so the Dodgers last year, Clayton Kershaw, premium pick. The Nationals in 2019, Steven Strasburg is absolutely premium pick. Max Scherzer, he's Max Scherzer's mm -hmm. a, a top 15 pick. Yeah, uh, throw Walker Buehler in there. You know, well, Walker, again, for the Dodgers. I, I even could say, like, but John's point was not even like late first round. John's mm -hmm. point was like top 15 top, type. Okay. Picks. Like uh Houston Astros, Justin Verlander. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it it Maybe it's just coincidental, but but I do think that that's one thing that, as again, we're we're draft geeks, we're prospect geeks, sitting on this podcast. We both linked talked about it last night. The the Braves that 2015 draft, that 2016 draft, <laughs> in addition to the trades and and other things they did, acquiring Max Fried when he was young in his uh, you know development with the Padres, all that, but. Ian Anderson was the third pick in the draft as a high school right-hander. That's a demographic that a whole lot of teams cannot pull off. Yep. And there are a lot of teams who basically throw their arms up and said, we're not even fishing in that pond because it fails. The Braves are a team, Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka. Again, I'll, Max Fried's a lefty. The high school lefty is not the same yeah, world of demographics. Yeah, doesn't the same quite same fear in scouting but, departments. But the Braves, the Braves were willing to go there, but not just willing to go there. We've written about this at Baseball America. The Braves and the Cardinals were two teams that we felt like, when you take a high school pitcher like that, mm -hmm. for one, I do think that there are attributes that can work well for you. And I've learned, I thought Riley Pint was going to be great when the, when the Rockies drafted him. I was wrong. I was wrong. I, but what the Braves do when they've taken high school pitchers in the first round is they focused on less about kind of that absolute pure stuff on the moment you draft them and more about deliveries, athleticism, yeah. feel, all those things. I know Brian Bridges in his first year as the scouting director for the Braves was prior to that 2015 draft. So the draft where the Braves take Colby Allard with their first pick in the first round, Mike Soroka with their second, Austin Riley in the first supplemental, Lucas Herbert, and then A.J. Minter in the second supplemental. That was his first year kind of calling the shots. 
uh, as the leader of the scouting department, he, he's kind of always talked about how he prioritized fastball command. If you can establish that fastball as an amateur pitcher, I think he thought that was a really good sign. And a lot of the guys they took at the time had that sort of innate quality that's really hard to teach. So once you get that, you can help. I mean, they're ahead of the curve. Everyone talks about this now, but you can teach velocity a little bit better. You can add stuff. It's a lot tougher to add command and control and just that that kind of refined pitching ability that a lot of these guys had from the jump. Watch Mac Freed in that game last night. Max Freed was, and okay, Astros fans, I will allow you, there were a couple of those pitches that were a few inches below the zone and were called <laughs> strikes. But he was dotting spots that if you can throw fastballs there, there's really not much you can do with it. I loved how the analysis, uh, John Smoltz made the point, what the Astros were doing, and there are multiple Astros who do this, which is, we're going to make you, we're going to take half the plate or take a section of the plate. And if you put it there, we're going to win. And then we're going to say, if you can execute to this smaller area of the plate for strikes, especially with your secondaries, but with your fastball too, we'll give you, if you can do that three times in seven pitches or 10 pitches, depending on if they fell off. Okay. We might lose this one. You know, we might hit a, we might hit a ball weekly because you executed, but it's really hard to do that. Well, Max Fried and Ian Anderson also, Ian Anderson less so, he was a little wilder. His command was not the same, but they did that. And that's really hard to do. I, the same thing to some extent is going on. If you're facing Jorge Soler, Jorge Soler is a hitter who is pitchable. If you can execute your pitches, you can get him out, as Jorge Soler has demonstrated for multiple years. But if you give a pitch on the in, basically middle <laughs> height, on the inner third to the middle of the plate, the ball, as we saw last night, may orbit the earth. And that happened on multiple occasions. Yeah. I, he was looking. I, I think I said a joke in one game. It's like, if you talk about how to shift Jorge Soler, I'm on the I foul think you should, right, you should put a guy at first base and then you should take everyone else and line mm -hmm. them up on the foul line because that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. And it worked. He hit three home runs in the World Series. That's, but again, that fastball command mm -hmm. you talk about, that's something that Max Free did in that game. And, and really quickly, just the Max Free draft report, I had nothing to do with this, obviously. I was not at Baseball America in 2012, but I, I was reaching out <laughs> where, to people where, who were where, around where, where, at, wait, at the hold time. On. Hold on. Look, look. So what grade were you in? In 2012, I would have been, depending on the time of year, I would have been either so graduating been high school. Oh, I was in between uh, high school and college. I was just about to go to UNC for my freshman year. <laughs> but... Yeah. Really, credit to Aaron Fit. I reached out to all the guys like Connor Glassy, John Manuel, to see who wrote this report. Nathan Rohde, I think those were all the the guys who were around at the time. But Aaron wrote the Max Fried report, and it, it it's it nails it. Like I don't know if it's it's great podcasting to just read the scouting report, but if you guys want to just go check Max Fried's original draft report, it's it's pretty impressive. I hope to have a few draft scouting reports that hold up this well ten years down the line. You have to give a little teaser of that. What is it that holds up? 
it, it just like pegs. Okay, I'll, I'll read part of it. Um, okay, so he says, at his best, he adds and subtracts from a fastball that ranges from 88 to 95 mile, miles per hour, generally pitching with solid average velocity, though he has the ability to reach back for more when he needs to. His best pitch is a tight downer curveball in the 74 to 78 mile per hour range that rates conservatively as a plus pitch and flashes plus plus. He can manipulate the shape and velocity of the curveball depending on the situation, throwing it for a strike or a chase pitch. I thought that line was fantastic because this year, at least per fan graphs, I think it was the number seven curveball in baseball. Um, so easily one of the best just curveballs in the game at this point. And then kind of skipping down to the last line here uh, to close it out, a UCLA signee, Freed is a cerebral. Freed is cerebral and determined, his late season dip notwithstanding. He projects as a potential number two starter in the big leagues with a chance to be a number one. I mean, th that's pretty much on the money, I feel like. So kudos to Aaron Fitt, kudos to the draft team at the time. You cannot say that he's not a number two. And you could very well argue. I, I don't know what a number one would do more mm -hmm. than what Max Free did right there, which is he's the ace of mm -hmm. the team that just won the World Series and he threw six shutout in the clinching game. It doesn't mean that that by itself makes you an ace because that, you know, you Kyle, if Kyle Wright had done that, which he didn't, but if Kyle Wright had done that, we wouldn't say, well, clearly he's a number one because he just did that. But when yes. you talk about what Max Fried has done and throw that in, yeah, that, that's a number one to me in, in a, a lot of ways. Great. Report. So what was more impressive to you, Max Fried's just outing as a whole or the pimp job that Jorge Soler had on that home run? Because I, I really think, as good as Freed's outing was, I think the Solaire home run is going to be kind of the iconic moment from this game for Braves fans. That's the highlight that's going to be shown over and over and over again. And I, I am really in love with these kind of backed off open angles of home runs. I, I feel like those shots do a lot of, I don't know, it just makes the moment seem much cooler than it is from the typical broadcast camera angle. It's fantastic. And there are already a number of edits on that clip with, with different songs that make it really exciting. So I'm a huge fan of that pimp job. I, that's the thing that stands out about this. So this is now where I will bring it full circle back to 1996. I'm going to do that right after a quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And we're back. I said 96. I meant 1995 before the, uh, we don't said, but if you go back to the last time that the Braves won the world series, that game also like Tom Glavin was great, but that game will be remembered as the game that David justice who had that day basically called out Braves fans in the paper publicly. He hit the home run. The Braves win the game. That's the moment. I do think Solaire will be the moment because what Max Fried did, when you talk about Max Fried in that game, it's actually probably going to be, as Braves fans re- reminisce about this for years to come, him being stepped on and It'll going be out ankle. and continuing. Yeah. It'll be the ankle. But Solaire's moment is one of those perfect kind of baseball moments. And this is something, let me just be clear, we're both, Carlos just said it, but it's great in baseball. One of the things that baseball can do is when a player has a moment, not because just this isn't an, a nine to one game in mid July, again, from two teams playing, you know, who aren't in contention. This is, we're trying to win the clinching game of the world series. And I just hit a ball as well as I can possibly hit it. If you don't get excited in that moment, you're suppressing it. And I don't know why you would, because I don't care. Brendan McKay, the Rays pitcher slash DH, is known as the robot. Like, I mean, he, he's, he never shows any emotion. I think Brendan McKay, if he'd have hit that home run, would have stopped and went like, yeah, because how, why wouldn't you? You just hit a ball that as you're before the ball leaves the park, you know, I think that ball might leave the park. Yeah. I just gave my team a three run lead in the clinching game of the world series. Why I, we can call it a pimp job, but I would also call it. That is the moment. That's like, you've literally, if you are Jorge Soler, every moment, of your baseball career from when you were six was dreaming of having that moment. I absolutely, I every, if you ever played baseball one day or softball or a bat and ball sport, if you didn't have a moment where you thought about hitting that home run, who are you? Because that is the point. 
it's the point that we all aspire. Okay, maybe you aspire that it's with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, down by two, and you hit the three-run home run. But to hit a to hit a home run that will be shown on highlight films for decades to come. Because mm-hmm. uh, to give an example, what's great about it was how many people right after said that's that reminds me of pool holes versus lidge. Well, why do they remember that? Because when you have a moment like that, it sticks in people's memory. Yeah, I think that is the one. And it's great that Freddie Freeman got to have a moment later and, and all like that. But Jorge Soler's home run is the one that that was the game. Because yeah. at that point, with Max Fried on the mound, pitching the way he was, with a fully rested bullpen. And again, that was something we talked about on this podcast after game five was there are a lot of people decrying why are the Braves, why is Snicker, why do you get Sin Tucker Davidson back out? Why is Drew Smiley pitching Dave's game? Mm-hmm. You saw it last night. They fully reset their bullpen. They didn't even need to use it all, no. but they had Max Freed on normal rest versus Luis Garcia on short rest. They had a bullpen where Tyler Madsen go out there to it. Don't care. He's good. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's rested. He's ready to go. They were in control of that game. And part of the reason they were in control of that game is, is the advantage of being up three, one in a series is, you know, you got to win one of three, not do or die for that one game. And that's what happened last night. Absolutely. Real quick. Are you taking, <clears throat> excuse me. Are you taking the over on the stat cast distance for that? Solaire home run. They estimated it at 446 feet. I know there was a lot of chatter online about it uh, being significantly I think that's accurate, that, but I don't know. I, Balls down the line. The pull, the pull makes it a little bit trickier to kind of balls guess down how the line. Balls down the line are generally, to me, not as far as we think mm-hmm. they are. And balls to right center, left center, or center field are often further than we think we are. Because yeah, you got to remember that left field fence at, at that park is not very far from home plate. <laughs> no. I mean, so. Yes, he cleared the stadium, but at the same time, like if you would take that ball and credit to the MLB StatCast people, Tom Tango, uh, you know, would like posted this, like mm-hmm. the ball that we talked that they talked about, oh, that ball would have been a home run uh, at Houston from, what was that? From, uh, from game five, the one that Eddie Rosario, I think caught, mm-hmm. you know, at the wall. It's like that, no, yeah. Like that would have been, at the time I'm like, but that ball's really low. So would that ball have cleared the higher fence? And then they made the point and they showed it, like here's where it would have been at the point of the fence. Yeah. And there's, at Atlanta, that ball would have landed in the seats at the high level of the seats, but we'd have still been like, oh, that was a nice home run. Mm-hmm. The structure of Houston's ballpark with the roof open, I do That's think a good point. makes it seem even more majestic. You, you touched on the bullpen, and I wanted to just mention it here, mention it here, so we don't overlook it. But Will Smith is a guy who has been extremely reliable for the Braves, and I almost feel like it's the point where he hasn't gotten enough credit for what he did. But in this postseason, he threw eleven innings and didn't give up a single run. That's pretty loud. I mean, the the entire bullpen for the Braves we could talk about for a while if we wanted to, but it's it's really impressive that he didn't allow a single run the entire time he was used in this playoffs. He was great. And that is funny because I, we interact with a lot of Braves Twitter. 
I've done the Braves list for multiple years. You've done, you do the Braves list for us now. We know a lot of people on Braves Twitter. They follow us, we follow them. And so I, I feel like I generally have an understanding. And again, let me own it also. I'm from Georgia. Yeah. My brother was very locked in on that game last night. I have friends I went to college with. Yeah, this World Series, I had more people just texting me throughout the game than any, just because, similar to you, it wasn't Georgia for me, but growing up in North Carolina, a lot of of people my age grew up Braves fans as well. So relatives, friends who who typically don't watch baseball or follow it closely were were very locked into the series and, and messaging me throughout, which was fun. But what I would say with that is, is that there was a long period of time during the regular season where the arrival of Will Smith in the game basically was the point at which all of those fans would start chewing off their fingernails, <laughs> you know, yes. and, and you're right. He was absolutely lights out during the uh, postseason. Mm-hmm. And let's also say that's, that's the other thing about this is, the Braves bullpen in general, that's that's something that we also do consistently see in the postseason. The, I, 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 we always think about this. We don't want to overreact to the World Series. But while we don't want to overreact to it, don't want to overreact to the playoffs, one of the things that does stand out, the balance keeps shifting. Kyle Glazer for us wrote about this yesterday at BaseballAmerica.com, which is, If you right now say, which is more important to a team, a number four starter, not a number five, but a number four starter, a starter who's going to throw 25 starts for you, he'll probably miss a few weeks here or there. Or I would just describe as, at this point, the the distinctions between a closer and a setup man, a high leverage reliever. We're really kind of also going to that point. I don't care what inning Tyler Matzik throws for the Braves. Mm -hmm. He is a high leverage reliever. And the fact that Will Smith throws the ninth doesn't really put him on a different plane. I would say if you pumped Brian Snicker through of truth serum, (laughs) he would sell you Tyler Madsick's the guy I want on the mound in the most important situation in the game, because I do think that this year at this moment, he's a better pure pitcher than Will Smith. Will Smith's really good, but Tyler Madsick's the one that the house is burning down and there's the the cats you know stuck up on the third floor he's the fire the, he he's the fireman they come in like with the bases loaded in that situation it's like hey bases loaded no out could you please get us out of this okay no problem i'll just strike everyone out will smith comes in to clean the innings to start the ninth it's a little tough but high leverage reliever is greater than number four starter jaco de rizzi was on that roster for the astros and you could almost forget at times that guy was a number four starter for them. Drew Smiley, Drew Smiley made 23 starts, I think it was. And he is like, well, the game's out of hand. Let's let him throw now. Whereas if you compare that to Tyler Madsick and Luke Jackson and not just Will Smith, but AJ Minter, like, If you say all of those, if you said who is more important to the Braves winning a World Series during the postseason, all of those players, all of them, am I missing? Am I leaving out another reliever I should be including? Those are the big four. Those are the big four. I think those are the the ones you you want to mention. 
No, I think you're right. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, how would you? It's it's tough because so much of so much of the playoff baseball environment that we have is so different from the regular season and what the requirements are. I don't think we can overlook the 125 ish innings that Smiley threw in the regular season. And I think it's an interesting conversation to have if you want to talk about overall value, knowing that you need to include regular season in the path to get there with the playoffs. I'd say for, for a team that doesn't expect to compete, you probably definitely want that, that number four starter that can just kind of take those innings for you. Uh, But in the bigger picture, if you know you're a competitive team, you're hoping to get in the playoffs if you could pick one or the other and you have to include regular season and postseason, I'm really not sure which one you would, you would want, because I do think it's easier to find relievers mm-hmm. who, who have elite stuff like this, who can add in any given short sample or, or small um, just a shorter period of time can get really hot and get really dominant. It's probably easier to find those guys than an arm. You can feel comfortable going every five days and at least giving you a chance to stay in a game, which I would imagine is your expectation or your hope for a number four starter. Um, but certainly in the playoffs, it's, it's no question, which is more valuable. As you mentioned, you have to have the fourth starter to get to the playoffs. And I say that from the standpoint of, and again, the Rays sometimes will try to see if they can get through with bulk guys and all that. But what my point is you have to have guys who can give you 125 passable innings, 25 starts, whatever it is during the regular season. Because if you don't, you will burn all of those relievers we just talked about to a crisp, or you will use your 12th through 20th relievers on your staff too much who aren't very good. And so you won't make it to the playoffs. You need Jake Odorizzi's and Drew Smiley's to get you there. But it is notable that. They used to not fade to nothingness. Again, I say this because my point being, Charlie Liebrandt, to go old school Braves, Charlie Liebrandt was the fourth starter on those Braves teams of the early 90s. They had Glavin, they had Smoltz, and they had Steve Avery. And those were the guys that you absolutely wanted on the mound if you were the Braves in key moments in the postseason. You didn't want Charlie Liebrandt. Nothing against Charlie Liebrandt, but Charlie Liebrandt was this lefty. Nothing against you, Charlie, but we did not want you on the mound. (laughs) But Liebrandt was guile and feel, and he wasn't going to, you know, blow off a radar gun. Now, he threw 229 innings for them, you know, in 1991 to go to, you know, to to get them to the postseason. So I also want to make a point he was a guy who you you absolutely had to have to get there. But in the World Series, he made one start in 91. And his, the point B. His, do you want to just go through his his track record in the 91 and 92 playoffs? He, oh, I, I, NLC, I remember it. <laughs> it's six it's six games and six losses. He was credit or the result, excuse me. <laughs> the Braves lost every wait, single wait. game that he pitched in. And the point being, but that was at the time. At the time, that's how we. That's how we as baseball. And I, I wasn't part of baseball. I was covering mm-hmm. it, but I wasn't. I'm not part of baseball. But that's how baseball did it, which is okay. 
going to give the ball to Charlie because he's the four starter. So you have the first, you go one, two, three, you give the four starter and then he's, and then he's available to pitch in the pen the rest of the series. And by the way, he did. And he gave up the home run to Kirby Puckett and they lost the game that set it up game seven. So it didn't go well for Charlie in that world series. He did pitch well in the NLCS that year, if I remember correctly, but the point being, you gave that guy a four, a starter, a, a start in the World Series as the number four starter. Nowadays, if 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 the 1991 Braves were all of a sudden put in a time machine, put in 19 in, in 2021, Charlie Liebrandt would not come got, get a breath of a start. It would be well, okay. So Kent, to give an example, Kent Merker, who who was kind of the guy who started and relieved, but mainly relieved that year that Kent Merker would have gotten a start because it had been like, you know what? He's got way better stuff than Charlie Lee Brandt. Maybe he'll only be able to go three for the Braves tonight, but we're good. We would rather as a team have him go three to four good ones than to get six. Okay. Ones from Charlie. That's how the game has changed. And what stands out to me is, is as we're working on the prospect handbook, it's a little late in the process to be talking about this, but the reality of it is, is like, okay, the balance keeps shifting. Not that number four starters aren't valuable. They are, but number four starters continue to be less emphasized. It used to be number five. Number five starting pitchers now are, are, are what a number six used to be. And I say that because it used to be that teams didn't just say, okay, well, today's a bullpen day. But now they say we would rather throw eight relievers at this game and then do a lot of turnover on our roster over the next week rather than give the ball to this guy who really should be in AAA. That's how the game has changed. And I don't know if it needs to change again. I just can't help but notice that as we talk about what's Mm -hmm. happening in baseball. Absolutely. So JJ, where do we go from here for the Braves? They've reached the pinnacle for the first time in a long time. Freddie Freeman is now a free agent, the face of their franchise for the last decade or so. They've got a nice young core where you can kind of continue to see success come from the team. The Astros have now been to a world series in three out of the last five years. Again, they've got a guy in Carlos Correa, who's a very important part of their team who is free agent this off season. What does this kind of mean for both of these teams moving forward? What do you expect to see from these teams moving forward? They've they've both been, I mean, the Astros have been one of the better teams in baseball the last half decade or so. I don't think that's any sort of question. Said, no, the Braves, question at all. maybe they're on a path to kind of being at least something like what the Astros have been in recent years in terms of success. They already have won four straight National League East titles. I was going to say. What are you looking for with, with these teams moving forward? What do you think about their free agent questions? Just kind of spinning this forward to future seasons. What's on your mind? I do think that it is easy to discount the Braves a little too much because they they hadn't won a World Series or made the World Series before this year. Like this I'm glad team- you said that because I, I typically am the, the, the playoffs are random and regular season success should be valued more highly. So I do think it's smart to bring this up. This is a team that, okay, 2018 was their breakthrough year. That year where they won the division, they won 90 games. I don't want to make it sound like they were the dominant team in baseball, but they won 90 games. They got to the playoffs 
and then they lost. Okay. 2019, then they became what I would describe as a relatively dominant team. They won 97 games. I'm with you. Like, I, what the Rays did this year, what the Dodgers did, what the Giants did, the fact that they didn't win a World Series does not take away from the fact it is much more difficult, in my opinion, to win 100-plus games during a 162-game schedule than it is there is a certain randomness that doesn't discount what these teams did, doesn't count, discount what the Braves did. But it's more difficult to win 100 games because – Yeah, without question. All you, all you have to have is a really bad month, and that's no longer even a possibility. But they won 97 games. And then last year – their winning percentage last year wasn't going to get them to 97 over the course of a season, but that was again, a pretty dominant team. And that's a team that came that, uh, uh, a whiskers close mm-hmm. to going to the world series against and uh, the eventual I mean, champions. Look at how that team was viewed going into the playoffs compared to this team. This team you could almost say was an afterthought heading into the playoffs Whereas in 2020, the Braves had one of the more feared offenses in baseball and were seen as one of the top three teams in, in baseball overall. Uh, it was a much stronger team on paper and at least how they were regarded um, perception-wise than this so, year. So you never know what happens once you get to the playoffs. So my point is, it, the, the point overall of this is, it's really hard to win four straight division titles. I don't care what the caliber of your division is. This is a team that already is already demonstrated is one of the better teams in baseball. It is a perennial playoff team at this point. I think that right now, the crazy part of this is, yes, they are going to almost assuredly lose some form of Acuna, Eddie Rosario, I mean, not Acuna, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler. Braves uh, fans just Duvall. had a heart attack when you said yes. that and wondered why they but, were losing Acuna. But, they don't even need Acuna to win a World Series, JJ, come on. But they will get Acuna back. They should get Soroka back. They still have. It is a thin farm system, but one that has guys at the upper levels of the minors who could still provide impact. And you know what what stands out to me about this team is when, when we do the future projected lineups in the prospect handbook, in some ways it's a flawed exercise because there's so many players oh, yeah. you you can't really control. But I think the really good the really good thing about that is you see the players who who you know are under control for a long time and you see just the age of what this core is going to be the core of this Braves team is still going to be in their, their physical primes five years from now. So you, you have to feel pretty good if you're a Braves fan with, oh. with where everything is headed. You have to feel great. If, if, if they bring Freddie Freeman back, this infield, Freddie Freeman is the sage veteran who is, I mean, this is the, the complicating factor is, is he is, he should be good for years to several years to come, but he is now into the descendant phase of his career and Dansby Swanson I don't think necessarily there's not a guarantee that Dansby Swanson is part of this team for the next four or five years he's coming up on the point where you go okay do you want to commit to him yep. but Austin Riley in 2023 I believe Ozzy Albies who's on a contract that we said it at the Let's time. Let's just say like, if, if the Braves don't re-sign Freeman, given the contracts that Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna have, the entire fan base will be up in arms. <laughs> but Austin Riley and Ozzy Albies 
those are two parts of the infield that are going to be there for a long time to come and should be like the, the coming into the year. Austin Riley was a question. He now goes into 2022 as one of the better players in the national league. Ozzie Albies is one of the better second baseman in baseball. Ron Acuna, they are getting back literally one of the best players in baseball will return to them next year. So that yeah, they, they should have some staying power. And I'll say also with the Astros, you asked about the Astros as well. Yeah, we haven't talked about them too much, but worth mentioning. I, I'm sorry, yeah. Our, okay, it's, yeah, it's worth It makes sense, though. <laughs> you're going to talk about the team that won the World Series. This is a Brave-centric podcast today. But you look at the Astros. Whether Carlos Correa is back or not, I don't think this team is tailing off anytime soon. They absolutely have question marks. Yuli Gurriel is still really good. At some point, Father Time will catch up with Yuli Gurriel. Yes, but if they lose Correa, okay, do they have any, Carlos, do they have anyone on this team who has played shortstop before who might be able to slide over and handle that spot? Um, you got Bregman. Yeah, he was pretty good at third. He's been good at short when they moved him back over when Correa has been hurt. How but, many, so, how many games has he played at shortstop? Cause Correa has been hurt a number of times. So my point being that gives you flexibility. If they go out, mm-hmm. if they re-sign Correa or they acquire, you know, another shortstop or Jeremy Pena is they decide ready. Mm-hmm. They have options where you say, okay, Alex, you just stay at third. But the flip side of that is Alex Bregman has played 129 games and started 107 games at shortstop for the Astros in his career. The flip side of that is, is if you wanted to go out, if you found out that it was more advantageous to acquire a third baseman long-term or short-term, you could also slide Bregman to short. That is also an option. You have flexibility there. They broke in Jake Myers, Chaz McCormick and Jose Siri in center field. One of those guys, I think Meyer is probably the most likely gives them a solid center fielder going forward. Jordan Alvarez is still, I still think that we have better Jordan Alvarez seasons to come and he's already really, really good. And on top of that, let's not forget how different would this postseason have been for the Astros if their best pitcher Lance McCullers hadn't gone down. Mm -hmm. So they still have a pitching staff with McCullers, with Garcia, with Fromber, with Arquiti. This is a team that's not shouldn't be going anywhere either. And you didn't even mention the guy that I was most interested in moving forward, and that's Kyle Tucker. I mean, I don't know if if he's gone a little under the radar for just how good he was this season, but a 147 OPS plus, 294, 359, 557 slash line. 30 home runs, really good defense in the outfield. You saw him make a number of really impressive plays this World Series. He's only 24 years old and should only continue to get better. I'm fascinated to see the player that he kind of continues to develop into because this really was his breakout season. He was very good in in small samples in 2019 and 2020. His first full season in the big leagues was pretty fantastic, and he's still just 24 years old. So that's another one that... I'm really excited to just continue watching. And again, like the Braves, I don't think that is a particularly deep farm system at this point, but 
there are guys who I look at with it. It's like, again, Jeremy Pena being one that really does stand out. It's like, okay, it's not far away. And he could potentially fill a need that they have. They developed Jake Myers. Jake Myers came into the year as, okay, this guy's interesting. Jake Myers leaves the year. He, him going down also hurt them in the postseason. But he leaves the year where you're like, well, Jake Myers may be their center fielder going forward. That, by the way, that allowed them to trade Miles Straw for Phil Maton, who was a really key part of their bullpen. I, I, what I'm saying with this is this is also a team I think has further staying power going forward. And, you know, I, I think that we, we now head into an offseason that th- this is oh probably the way to wrap this up. <laughs> As I, a, a viewing and listening guide to the offseason. If there is not a CBA on December 2nd, 2021, don't freak out. And I say that because nothing, as if you're a fan, listen to this, nothing important for you really, really changes if there's no CBA on December 2nd. Now, there needs to be a CBA to go before next year, but I'll just lay out a thought exercise for this. Right now, free agency in baseball largely consists of a game of chicken where everyone stares at each other with very few exceptions for about two and a half months. And then deals happen, right? We, we, the free agency has begun. Crickets. Like you'll have like one or two signings and then everyone just waits and then you get to January and then the deals happen. As opposed to Carlos, the bigger NBA fan than I am, but NBA free agency, it's like three, two, one, here we go. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. All the deals that were agreed to long before it started are announced. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, in the offseason, you have this moment where everyone's like, how awesome is this? NFL free agency. Three, two, one. Boom, 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 boom. And you have all these big deals happen and everyone gets excited about it. I don't, I want there to be a CBA as a fan of baseball. I would love there to be a CBA on December 1st. We've got a new deal off the go. But that said, if there's a deal reached on January 15th and they say, okay, we've got the new rules in place, free agency begins on January 28th or January 31st, spring training opens on February 21st, 25th, whatever it is, ready, set, go. That's not a bad thing for baseball because from the standpoint of if you're a fan watching it, having free agency turn from a three and a half month slog where everyone decries how no one's (laughs) signing and turn it into a three week sprint as a fan that is potentially a more enjoyable experience. And again, I say that for fans. Now I, I, I know, I, I know people are agents. I know players, I know front office officials, and I'm sure that there can be arguments constructed that, why it's good or bad for all of those different groups. And that may be true. But I will say from a fan perspective, 
having the winter meetings in December be one where it's like, well, there are six shortstops on the market and none of them seem that close to a deal right now is not necessarily great for the entertainment product of baseball. And so from that standpoint, as a, as a fan's guide, don't freak out too much until we get to mid to late January. That's when, okay, then feel free to commence your worry that this is going to bleed into the season. Yeah. No, well said, JJ. No, I don't, I'm just excited to see what happens. I don't know what the timeline is going to be for information coming out about the CBA. A lot obviously could change with baseball this off season. I'm expecting a lot to change and I'm really just kind of excited to see what happens. I don't have a ton of insight onto what the, what the league is going to look like. I'm mostly just excited to see if there are any draft changes, but uh, it feels like that is at the very low end of the priorities for, oh. for all of the parties involved. I- um, I don't, I don't think it is. Although I think that the draft is the, I would say that the MLB amateur draft U S mm-hmm. domestic U S Canada, Puerto Rico draft is less likely to be the significant impact in this one, as much as yeah, what's going to happen. It on seems the like side. most people are pretty content with the system compared to other areas of baseball, I would say. So I'm just excited to see what happens. Uh, free agency is always fun just to just kind of see the deals that the players get, how teams reshuffle, um, so yeah, like, like the playoffs, I'm just kind of excited to, to watch everything unfold and see what happens. It's going to be fascinating, but last night, again, right now we'll turn it to look backwards for once. Usually we look ahead. So we love to do a baseball America, but looking back, we've just had a really enjoyable month of the postseason, And this is the perfect time to, to wrap it up by saying also, we all just went through 2020. And yes, there was a World Series in 2020. Man, it felt good to have, to be talking about the World Series and a World Series champion. And we just talked about a 162 game season. And we just talked about a minor league season. We are, I'm not going to say it was 100% normal, but it was a lot closer to it than what it was last year. And man, that felt good. If you, if you are a fan of baseball, it felt good to have a more normal 2021. That's probably the perfect way to wrap it up. For Carlos, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.